Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hey there, my wise friends, and thank you for joining me. This September marks the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on the Twin Towers. And for my guest today, September the 11th, 2001, was a day that changed his life forever. At 8.46am, a plane crashed into World Trade Center 1 between floors 93 and 99. Mandel's mother, Brenda, worked on the 97th floor. Mandel tells the story of the huge hole that was left in his life and the lives of his family that day. It's the heartbreaking story of a 13-year-old boy calling the same number over and over, hoping she would pick up the phone at the other end, or of the weeks of searching and trying to stay hopeful before finally having to arrange a funeral without a casket. Mandel's story is about the strength of character he's found over the years through faith, forgiveness, and his love for others. Brenda named her youngest son Mandel after the great Nelson Mandela, and Rahim, which means compassion, and she saw in him those great characteristics of strength and kindness way before he saw it in himself. I'm truly honoured to have been trusted with this story that pays tribute to the wonderful mother, wife, sister and daughter Brenda was, and how the seeds of love that were planted in the 13 years she and Mandel did have together were ultimately a gift that he still cherishes to this day. So my guest today, I am thrilled to say, is is Mandel Conway. Named after Nelson Mandela, I think the best way to describe him is the way he describes himself. He says, I'm six foot three and 250 pounds, a believer, peloton rider and runner. I have two siblings, an older brother and an older sister. And I'm typing this from my home in the Bronx, New York, where I was born and raised. I love food, love books, love to read, love to learn, love to travel, love people, love to serve, love business, love the Story Skills Workshop, where I've been a student and a coach, and I love telling stories. So I first met Mandel when he came into the Story Skills Workshop as a student, and his story about losing his mother in the 9-11 attacks on the Twin Towers literally took my breath away. We've since gone on to work alongside each other on the coaching team and in further rounds of the Story Skills Workshop. And I've got to see firsthand his kindness, his bucket loads of empathy and huge compassion for the students, as well as an immense wisdom that completely belies his age. So he's just such a natural fit for the podcast, and I can't wait to share his stories with you. So Mandel, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. And I felt this was even more fitting. It's like almost, it it kind of came around naturally that this being the 20th anniversary of those attacks on the Twin Towers seems to be just the perfect time to kind of honor your mum. Um, but I'm still so grateful to you for for joining us to share your stories. Yes, and thank you, Kat, for having me. My first podcast, my first interview ever. And so I'm excited. I had a friend who messaged me the other day. She said, I'm so glad you're doing your first one, but it'll be many to come. I uh, have no doubt once people hear this, they're like, I want, I want this guy. I want to hear more about him. Yeah, it's always the way it works. So, you know, talk to me about that story, that that moment, that sort of the way you, you told it was that day and it it was just such a powerful story. Yeah, so September 11th, uh, 2001, for me, I, w- I was going to a school in Harlem, a Christian academy in Harlem that actually ended late and in, in, in late in August, I wanna say. And so it started late in September. I'm sorry, ended late in June, July and started late in September. And so I was actually home during September 11th. I hadn't yet yet started school back like many students. 
And so whenever I was out of school, I didn't set an alarm clock. I just slept as long as I possibly could. I hung out the night before. That was always one of my greatest uh that was always something I love to do, like hang out as late as you can and wake up as late as you can. And so that morning, I remember I was, I was sleeping in my bed, which actually this used to be my bedroom, the room I'm in right now. And my bed used to be right here to the right of me. And I was sleeping in my bed. And I remember my mom waking me up, which she always did before she left the house. And she said, you know, man, I'm going to work now. Uh, try to do something productive with your day and she you know she mentioned like some things I could have did like laundry or cleaning or something like that and I'm like half sleep and I'm like okay okay uh yeah yeah and she's like all right you know have a good day you know bye I'm like okay bye and she she goes off to work and I and I go back to sleep and then I hear the phone ringing and I wake up out of my sleep and I and I go and I and I run and answer the phone and it's my aunt on the phone my mom's uh, one of my mom's youngest sisters and she calls me and she says, are you watching, are you watching TV? And I said, no. And she's like, well, turn on the TV. So I'm like, okay. So I go and I turn on the TV and I see the building, you know, I see the World Trade Center already on fire. A, a plane had ran through it and it's, it's just the news I'm watching and they're talking about it. And in my young mind, I'm thinking, oh, okay, a mistake happened. You know, something, you know, something went wrong. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not making a big deal out of it. And we're talking on the phone. She's like, oh, have you spoke to your mom? I'm like, no, she left. I don't really have the time in my mind when she left. I'm like, she left not too long ago. Um, and she's like, oh, okay, I, I've been trying to call. I haven't reached her. I said, yeah, she's probably just on a train or something. You know, she's probably on her way. And so we hung up and I tried to do the same thing to reach out and I didn't reach her. Then she calls me back. And then as we're watching again, we see the, we see the second plane. Yeah. And so now I'm like, oh, okay, this, this is not a mistake. And then on the news, they're saying like, you know, we're definitely under attack. This is an attack. And now we're not able to reach my mom. And so now the, the concern is, is growing like, okay, wait a minute now. And now the phone is just, oh my goodness. The phone is just ringing nonstop. Every, my aunts, my uncles, cousins, you know, of course my dad, um, my grandmother, everyone that I could possibly think of is, is calling my phone. Have you spoke to your mom? Have you spoke to your mom? And so with those calls, it's building, you know, in me, it's building like a, a bit of anxiousness, like, oh man. You know, this is this is serious. So I spent the rest of that day uh, watching the news, trying to reach my mom, answering calls that I haven't reached my mom. You know, my dad called me and said, hey, it's very important that you answer every call. So I'm like, yeah, I'm on I'm on top of it. And he's at work. He's all the way in Long Island. And he's like, I'm going to leave work now, but I have no clue when I'm going to get home because the streets are, you know, the streets yeah, are mad. security can't. is high end and, and everything of that nature. So if I remember correctly, he didn't get home till till late that night. but I just kept taking calls and everything of that nature and speaking to people. We, we didn't speak to her. And so um, we finally, when he finally got home, the next day was about, all right, so where do we go? Like, how do we begin to find someone? And, and they had, you know, things set up where, oh, you can go to hospitals, you can go to the armory, you can go to different places in the city to try to find her. And so that that's what became the next couple of days, like, OK, maybe she's somewhere that she needs to be found or she just hasn't been identified or she's hurt or something like that. And so mm-hmm. uh, those next days was was some of the toughest days, because you're like every day my dad and I went to Manhattan and we just began this search. And I've never done anything like that. You know, I'm 13 years old. And it's like you're searching for your mom but you don't know where she's at. You don't know where to look. And it's so many people searching for their loved ones. And there's names and people are screaming and there's the security is heightened and it's just like a crazy time. And one of the most hurtful things that I, I remember to this day, you know, my dad was always someone that was very strong to me, my hero. Uh, we used to joke all the time. And he would say like things like, yeah, I don't feel pain or I once swam in the ocean and a shark bit me or just, you know, he was like Superman and and he would you know just do that for me. It was it was just like fun. You know, dad was Superman. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day we were in the city and we had to go to the armory, but there were so many streets blocked off. And there was like, we were walking and there was a cop like blocking off one of the streets. And he said like, kind of aggressively, like, hey, hey, where are you going? But now looking back, it's a cop, he's doing his job. After mm-hmm. those attacks, he has to be on high alert. And my dad, he said, no, 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 I'm just gonna look for my wife. And when he said that, he just he just broke down and he cried. And he couldn't really get the words out. And I and I'm standing there and I don't know what to do. 
and he just started crying. And I hadn't, I don't think I ever saw my dad cry before that moment. And when a cop saw that, he said, Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, just, just go ahead this way. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was one of the toughest things, you know, and, and as much as me as a 13 year old had to go through that, I often think about my dad the same way. Cause it's like, all right, here's a man that was married to a woman for 16 years. You know, they have a child together. They, brought homes together. They lived together. They raised children together. And my dad always, he even texted me a few weeks ago and literally said like, your mom literally changed my life. Like she made me a better person. And so when you think about losing someone like that, it, it's so hard for him. And and some of the conversations we had were, was, were like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if we're going to live in the same house anymore. I'll, he told me one day driving home, like our life might literally change entirely right now um, with, the, with this happening. And so those are some of the things that I was dealing with at the time. And, and we can see, we continue, you know, the search for her. And, um, and obviously I remember one day we were, we were at my grandmother's house and they had hired like a family, a family counselor. And basically the conversation was, um, we've been searching for weeks and weeks and nothing has came of it. And so it's time to just be at peace with the fact that she, you know, she's not going to come, she's not going to come home. And, Obviously, that was a, a horrible night for for everyone in our family, and you know some family members um, took it harder than others in terms of how they reacted to that news. But yeah, I, I remember that night, and then we had to have a, a celebration of service for her, which we had at our former church. And one of the things that was so weird for me was I had been to funerals at that point. I'd never been to a funeral where there was no casket and where there was no body, and so it was it was weird. I was like, man. I've always been to funerals and I saw like, you know, uh, my great grandfather, I remember, you know, someone I love so much. I remember going to his funeral, seeing his body or, you know, it was just something normal. When you think about a funeral, you think about this is going to be the last time I'm going to see my loved one. And you prepare yeah. for that and you're ready. And this time it was it was no casket. It was no last time. So I had already saw her for the last time and I didn't get to prepare for it or anything like that. And really, the last time I saw her, I was half asleep. So you had to go back to the night before. Yeah, it was really um, the last time I saw her. And and so after, you know, going through something like that, when I was young, I was always called a mama's boy. Like, oh, you're a mama's boy. You're always on your mom. You're always under your mom. It was true. Like, I literally was always under her and next to her. And she would, man, please (laughs) give me some space or or you're, you're, you know, you're growing up now. You can't be so much on me. But as time went on, it was something I appreciated because it was it was an opportunity to just soak it all up because you're only going to have it for 13 years. You don't know it at that moment, but because you lived every day like that, it, it was such a benefit. And um, I literally remember having a conversation with her when I was real young. And the conversation was, you can no longer kiss me on the lips because, you, know, <laughs> you, know, you know, growing up, everyone yeah. kisses parents on the lips. And she said, well, man, you're getting older now and, you know, I'm married to your father and you know, he, he has. And I, and I thought that was the worst news ever. Like I was like, no, mommy, no, 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 please. It's just me. You know, what's how bad is it? And she's just like, no, you know, you can't do it anymore. And literally she's sitting on the bed telling me and I'm trying to like jump on her and like kiss her on the lips. And she's like, man, no, like, like we can't we can't do it anymore. And after that day, I never did. But we always every day. I kissed her on the cheek, like when I'm when I'm going to school and she was she would just say, you know, have a good day at school and, and we'll, you know, she'll kiss me on the cheek. Yeah. And so and so, yeah, just, you know, going through going through that at 13 was uh, was definitely tough, you know, just losing a mom and and then having it be on such a public stage Absolutely. where it was something that's always going to be talked about. So even if I never told you I lost my mom on September 11th, you might mention September 11th just because it's a historic day not knowing that it's attached to me personally. And so I, I feel a way about the conversation. It's nothing you did wrong, but it's just, oh, it's like a, it's like a slap. Like, oh, okay, September 11th. Yeah, that's, that's a big day for me. Yeah. And it's not something I, I, I always told everyone. And, and, and honestly, before story skills and before recently is not a conversation that I was ready to have because it was, you know, such a personal conversation for me. And I don't, I don't know what happened in story skills that made me want to share that story because I remember literally saying I'm going to share a story I'm just going to think of something like yeah. a story whatever I'm just I just want to learn how to do it and then something was like no you if you want to get the most out of this you can't do that you can't run you can't hide you have to share this story what's the story that you're afraid to share 
that's very personal, that's going to make your voice rattle and your heart pump, share that story right now. And so I was just like, listen, I paid to be here. I I want it. I want to learn how to do it. I'm going to share the story. And I shared it. And the reaction I got was like, oh, wow. And you talk about that kindness. I saw the kindness, you know, through fellow students and coaches and Bernadette. And it was like, okay, I could share this story. I did it once and I could I could continue to do it. And the benefit of that, I see that it could be for other people, as you mentioned, that have, have had loss in their life and can relate to it and so many things like that. And so I kind of just I kind of just jumped into it and, and shared that story. It's it's so powerful. I mean, hearing it still now, just oh, but um, I, I still remember. Bernadette's reaction being, you know, thank you for trusting us with that story. Mm-hmm. And also, wow, because, you know, your mum went out that day knowing how much you loved her mm-hmm. and you know how much she loved you. It was, it was, it was how close that relationship was mm-hmm. that was so touching about the story. And I think... I hope that by telling it, it's been part of the healing process, which must just always be there. You know, you never wake up and go, oh, that's done. I'm with it. You know, I'm, I'm over it now. It's just a constant, yeah, just putting some distance between you and this horrific event. And, and as you said, it, there is no question that the way you describe it so tenderly and and that sense of everything she meant to you helps keep the spirit of her alive. You know, there's that sense of, like, I feel I know your mum because of the, the way you told that story. And I'm sure, you know, I was I was intrigued to know whether because you you mentioned that it was such a public thing and there were so many people who lost friends and family on that day whether you had you know was there were, were there support groups were there kind of ways of because every september must be like this real jolt of i mean that's true of anyone you know there's, a, there's always an anniversary and a birthday and a, things that remind you but it's it's because it's so huge and and just it's like part of America's or the world's psyche. You know, there's not many people who don't remember where they were when they either saw that footage or heard the news. How how do you process the enormity of it? Yeah, I, th- I think for for many years I probably tried to minimize it. Mm. So. So for many years, September 11th, I would I would go to school and I would just act like almost like like nothing happened or like I like I wasn't that much a part of it. Or I would go to work and my family would like, oh, you're not going down to the memorial. No, I'm not going to go. You're not going to stay home. No, I'm not going to go. And so I would I would minimize it in a way like, well, let's just make this a another 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 regular day. And so that's kind of how. I got through those days. I've always said it was it was weird in a way because September 11th for me wasn't necessarily the hardest days. I think the hardest days is for me is like Mother's Day. It's yeah. seeing, everyone, seeing everyone with their mom. September 11th, um, I don't know what it is, but it's not the hardest day. Like some people say, oh, I can't watch the documentaries or I can't. And I can. Like I watched one recently and and I was fine. It was it was interesting to me. I'm always curious about certain things, you know, that happen. And I remember closer to when it actually happened um they came out with a movie about it i can't remember the uh director's name now but they came out with a movie and i went and i watched it with my dad and so that was not for me personally it was never really tough for me the toughest parts were having the discussions about it or the toughest part is is mentioning my mother not so much the day itself mm. I was, i've been able to work and go to school and, and be totally fine as long as you don't touch those points as long as you don't hey mandel didn't it wasn't your mom there then yeah, it becomes yeah. like oh you know you know and i don't want you to know especially if i didn't tell you or you know so those are always the toughest parts for me uh just going through uh, as far as support groups just my family uh 
you know, I grew up in a Christian family. And so mm-hmm. a lot of our beliefs and faith and hope and prayer, I, I felt like they showed themselves in that moment the most and how I was able to be strong. I remember speaking at my mom's uh, service celebration of life. And as I was writing it, I, I thought about all the children that never had a mom. And I thought that was that was crazy to me. Like some children are just like orphans from, from the beginning. And so even though I only experienced it for 13 years, I got to 13 years. Yeah. And it set a foundation for me that some children never had. And then there's the other side of, all right, I lost my mom, but I still have my dad. And some children, yeah. that's that's not the case. So even then I thought about the blessing that I still had, even though I was going through that, that I was still blessed. And so just growing up in that family, you know, my grandmother's a pastor, my aunt's a pastor, my uncle's a pastor. I've been in church all my life, literally in every facet, you know, my family, my mom was a a Bible uh, study teacher, a Sunday school teacher. She was over the children, you know, just heavily involved. And so that foundation and that base helped me tremendously because I knew like there was purpose in all of this. And I knew that that at the end, God was going to, that everything was going to be okay. That's ultimately was like, all right, everything's going to be okay. I still have family. I still have something. I'm not totally lost in this. And so that really was, was my support, just the foundation that I could have leaned on at any time. Like I know who I am and I know who my family is and I know what my mom would want and what she gave me. And, and, and that really pushed me all the way, all the way through. Yeah. And I mean, that's so beautiful. And my heart goes out to your dad and, you know, because you describe, I remember seeing a post you put on Instagram on Mother's Day about, you know, your mom and, and their relationship. And so that faith that you have has really helped carry you through. And I, I was interested because I, I thought maybe you had come to faith mm. after the event, but it was, it's been such a a backbone of, of your life, as you say. And it's kind of, I guess it's it's one of those things that it must just start to feel stronger the more you you lean into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Growing up in church, you know, you're just a, a little boy and you know, you know, you're just running around and having a good time. And at the time when I was born, my my grandmother was an assistant pastor at a church. And we were, you know, very, my family was very involved in church. Sundays for us was like a family reunion almost because so many of my family members went to the same church. And so we would just, you know, we saw each other every Sunday at church. And as you get older, you begin to have your own personal relationship. And, you know, my grandma used to always say, you know, God is not this, this big figure that doesn't care about little children or doesn't care about your personal things. Like when I used to have a big test, it was like, well, we'll pray. You can pray about that. Like he cares about that too. And so you begin to have, you begin to discover your own relationship and your mm-hmm. faith you know, outside of that, of, you know, my grandmother and my mom. And so, like you said, the more I leaned into it, uh, the more it grew and built, okay, I can trust him with this. I can trust him with that. And now I look back and people say like, how did you make it through that at 13? Yeah. And so I can look back and like, well, I just trusted. And so now at 33, if I'm facing something, I could easily look back and say, if I made it through that, like I could, I could make it through this. If I could make it through losing the person I love the most on earth. And I'm, and here I, I didn't, here I am, you know, I, I went through a lot to get here, but I'm here. Then what's this new challenge for me? I, I could, I could go, I could do it. You know, I could overcome it. But I think what's so beautiful about you, Mandel, and what's so remarkable is that you didn't allow that to test that faith, that you didn't say, well, if there's a God, why did he do this to me? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that you were able to find those places of things to already to, to start to see gratitude for. Yeah, that's that's what's so remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, and not many people can do that, I don't think. Yeah. And I, I don't even know how I was, able, <laughs> how I was able to do that at 13. I remember so many people used to check up on me and say like, are you okay? You know, are, are you all right? Almost like I'm expecting him to be going through much more. He doesn't seem to be, you know, maybe it'll come later. And I, I had no answer for it. You know, I never once thought like, I remember thinking, okay, so who's responsible for these attacks? It, it can't be God. It has to be the enemy. Mm. why did he allow it to happen if he's the superior force and 
what's the purpose in that? And, you know, you, you just have to, like you say, you just have to have the faith, like, well, it'll all work out. You know, some things God does and some things he just allows to happen. And, and there's reasoning behind it all. Um, but it all, it all, it all works out. And I recently was sharing, I was sharing a post on Instagram and I was saying that I could imagine that the enemy or however people see the enemy as probably thought, oh, September 11th, this is, this is going to be great that this is going to happen. You know, so many people are going to lose their lives. And if you talk personally about me, I'm going to lose my mother. I'm a mama's boy. Everything's going to be perfect in terms of that evil plan of, of what's going to happen. You know, he's going to lose himself or, or whatever. So many people have done so many things, suicide, addicted to drugs, all those things. But really, when, when I think about it, because I had it for 13 years, that attack was almost too late because I had the foundation already. Like I already had enough to go through. And so the timing while, while he or, you know, whatever might've thought it, it was good timing, it really wasn't, at least not for me personally, because I already had enough to, to make it through. And so even in that, you could say, well, God knows the perfect time or everything in perfect time. Cause like, okay, he's ready. He's ready. Even at 13, he's ready for this. He'll, he'll be okay. I, I put the support system, I put the foundation around them. And so he'll just be fine. And, and it turns out, you know, I'm just fine. And, and the only thing I could do is my heart can go out to all the others who maybe didn't have the same foundation that I've had or the same family and support that I've had. And I often think about other children that have lost their, their parents on September 11th and even my own sister, uh, how we all deal with grief and things is so much different. And so I think about them, but I, I think about how fortunate I am to have had uh, the foundation that I had. But I also think, hey, maybe if I was 21, it would have been worse. You know, you never know. Maybe 21 years with your mom is, is, is and losing her is worse than just 13. Those are, those are questions I don't have the answers to, but um, it happened when it happened. And I, mm. I just, you know, I just went through with it and, and I'm, I'm still here today. So I'm, I'm thankful. And I can't help but thinking that you're, you must be like a big rock in your family. Like someone that people just go, oh, yeah, I just need to be near you just to help me get through some of the black days. Yeah, just yeah, incredible. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny you say it. My grandmother used to always say, she said, I know you're the younger sibling, but you have a maturity about you. you and do. so you, you, should, you should use that maturity. And, and one of my spiritual mentors, he, he says, you're just a good person to be around. And so don't be shocked when people just want to be around you. Like they don't really want nothing or you don't have to give them anything. It's just the proximity of being around you is just good enough. It, it helps them more. Or why when I'm at work, people just come to me randomly and tell me every problem they've ever had. And I'm just like, <laughs> like why are you telling me that? And so when you say that, it's so funny. It, it, in some ways, I'm, I'm that rock you could just lean on. And, and it, it might have something to do with the fact that I've been tested in terms of what I've been through mm. and, and, and I'm able to, to stand and say, well, I've been through that. And so I know you can go through whatever you're going through. And just to hear that or be next to someone that's been through that, I guess for others, it's, it's beneficial. And I know, you know, when, so we host calls on the, on the story skills workshop and people come into the zoom rooms and, and you just have this sense of there's just like people <laughs> love being in that space. People go, have we got to go already? Why, why do these calls only last for 45 minutes? And you're always there saying, well, we can, we can stay a bit longer, you know, and just that this is okay. And people, yeah, you, you have a way of helping people to do just what you did, which is to, to get the stories out that they, they were probably hiding from themselves, you know, and it just becomes this place of safety and yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, I was interested in, you mentioned the enemy and how much of this has been about forgiveness, mm -hmm. you know, because when I think of the Twin Towers and I just think of the futility of all that loss, you know, I just can't help think, but how did we get to this? Mm -hmm. How much of that have you had to process? Yeah, as forgiveness is is funny. Um, again, to my grandmother, as you can see, my grandma's had a, a big influence in my life. Yeah, she sounds amazing. <laughs> and this is your mom's mom. Yes, this is my mom's mom. Yeah, yeah. 
And so I remember being a young, a young boy, and I'll be sitting on the drums in church where I, where I first learned how to play the drums. And my grandma would often say that one of the keys to uh, a Christian life is loving everybody. And I always thought, how in the world do you love everybody? <laughs> like, how do you even love your enemies? And as I got older, I would, you know, I would read about it. And obviously it's scriptural. And it, but it, the, the concept was so difficult for me. You know, it's easy to love someone that I like, you know, family, someone that's doing good for me. But how do you love everybody? And then even if, if someone does something wrong, then how do you still forgive them? And so by the time I, I reached 13, there were so many, you know, September 11th, there's so many stories about who's responsible. I've never tried to really figure out, you know, there's obviously names out there. I've, I've never paid that much attention to it. But it's like, do you forgive? Do you forgive them? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you were to meet them, do you forgive them? Do you still love them? And I know my grandma would say, like, you, you got to <laughs> like you yeah. got you got to still love them. You got to still forgive them. That was something that they did based on their beliefs and, you know, however, there's a system, whatever they're in. But you're responsible for, you know, your own how you forgive people and how you love people. That's your responsibility. Um, Not saying that you're happy with what they did or you have to be. Another thing I learned is forgiving someone and loving someone doesn't mean you have to be best friends. You know, you don't have to be buddy, buddy and spend a lot of time. That's not what forgiveness and love is. And that's something my mom used to say, like, everybody is not your friend. You know, you could you could like people, you could love people. It doesn't mean that they're your friends. And so I've, I've never held anything in my heart against anyone that might have been involved uh, with, with those attacks. I just felt like it was even bigger than them. And so it, it would be pointless. For me, it doesn't, it, it's not a benefit. It doesn't do anything for me to hold anything against anybody or to blame anybody. Uh, for me, it was just, you know, it, it happened and you kind of got to go through it. And, and again, with, with hearing the words of my mom and my grandmother, um, my grandma actually is funny. She actually said once one Sunday from the pulpit that she forgave anybody that was involved. And my grandma was one of those that took it the hardest losing uh, my mom. Oh, yeah. And that was that was the first time I really got to see the pain that a mother might go through with losing a child mm-hmm. because no mom wants to bury their child. They always say, you know, your child should bury you. And when you hold somebody for nine months and you go through everything that pregnancy requires of you, and then you raise a child through school. And my grandmother uh, for many years was a, was a single mom. You know, my grandfather walked out. And if you think about all that, like everything you got to go through, and then at the age of 40, you lose her to some terrorist attacks, like that pain you, you have to hold as a mom. And people in my family often, so my grandma passed away now. But there are family members that say my grandmother was never the same after September 11th. Like she it was it was just so difficult for her to to carry that weight of, of losing a daughter and pastoring a church. And and um, one of the one of the things that are, is said amongst my family is when you go through something like that, sometimes it's best you step away from the position you're in. So my grandmother lost her, her daughter, but she was pastoring a church. So at the same time, she's trying to heal. She's trying to also, you know, speak to a congregation about healing and all the other things. And that could be very difficult. It might be best that you just step back from what you're doing so that you could heal or you could recover and then and then go back. So, um, you know, they say she was never the same. Uh, and and I, I could understand why. And, and that's everyone has their different levels. You know, I lost a mom. She lost a daughter. My dad lost a wife. It's all different. You know, my mom was a twin sister and her twin lost her, you know, her twin sister. And um, so every, every relationship is unique and different. And that's how I was one of the ways I learned about relationships and the difference dynamic in relationships. Well, I can't help but thinking, Mandel, that part of the reason that people gravitate towards you, that you are such a strength is because you don't carry all that anger and bitterness and ugliness in your own heart you know that you have found a way to to just fill it with love and and that ultimately it just kills you inside if you if you carry it with you you know i 
I don't know that I would be able to do what you have done and 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 say I I forgive, but but I do know that if you carry that real those those negative emotions with you, they just destroy you from the inside out. And I'm I'm sure that's why this sort of compassion that radiates from you, that's where it comes from, is mm -hmm. that capacity to to forgive, which is huge. Yeah. And and kind of just let things go. Uh, in the book, The Four Agreements, one of the agreements that I remember the most is uh, never take things personal. And and it's something that always replays. So even in new occurrences where I might have a conflict with someone, I, I have to forgive them and I have to love them. I can't hold it too long because it's not personal. And, and, and whatever happened is not worth us not talking or us not spending time together. Life's too short. And, and oftentimes, you know, you get mad at someone or angry at someone and, and you forget what it was even about and what it was even over. And so you, you, you kind of have to, you kind of have to let it go. And it's interesting you say compassion because I, I looked up my, uh, my middle name, which is Rahim in Arabic, and it actually means a compassionate one. And so I, mm -hmm. I, I like to think my name has, has something uh, to do with that. And so, yeah, I just I just try to be compassionate and love and and forgive and all those, you know, all those things kind of working together. You really can't, you know, hold those hold those things to you. And and as you say, you are a strength. Those are literal words that I've heard. I've heard time again from one of my spiritual mentors. And he's just he used to, he just tells me, like, your very being and your very presence is just a strength. And those words you really don't understand when he's saying like, you know, what does he mean? And, and, and hearing you say it now, like, you know, just your life experiences is a strength and you can be a strength to other people. And so really there's no time to not forgive or not to love because it's too much work to be done and too much stories to be shared about your life experiences that can be beneficial to someone else. I think what I mean when I, I mean, it's just fascinating what you just said that, so here you are named after Nelson Mandela, who is just this iconic figure of peace, reconciliation, yeah, understanding what it is to be human. And then Rahim, which means compassion. It's like you embody those two names. You, you live and breathe them. And what I mean when I say you're a tower of strength is that there's a reason you are the sort of person that if I was in a fix, if I was having a problem, I'm going to call Mandel <laughs> and talk it through with him because I know that I'm going to get some sense out of him and that I'm going to feel comfort and that I'm going to, this is going to help. That's mm -hmm. what I mean by strength. And I think that's what just is, is just happening. You know, you must be in hot demand, you know, where people <laughs> just go, let's get Mandel on this subject. And, and I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. You do have this way of, giving everyone a sense of like whatever I was worried about now it's all just disappearing it's all just calming down it's just beautiful absolutely amazing so I'm going to flip the stories around because I usually ask about kindness and then a challenge but you know the, the clear challenge in your life has been growing up and becoming the man you are without that beautiful mother in your life mm -hmm. But I was interested in, you know, what did you see as the challenge? Yeah, so the challenge um, and not having, it just, I guess you could just boil it down to decision making. You know, how do you, how do you navigate through life and make decisions on your own or with your father who for many years, that's not a facet of, of, of the family that he really dealt with, you know? There was, it was almost like they had a marriage and all right, I'm going to focus on this and you can focus on this and together we'll get it done. And so now when, when mom's not there, it's like, okay, now dad has to try to do everything he does plus what she does. Wow. It's like, all right, man, you kind of got to, you kind of got to grow up and, <laughs> and help me with this. And so I'm making decisions that by myself that I never would have made by myself before. And then I'm also getting involved in things that I probably would never have got involved by my you know, before, because mom would make sure like, no, no, don't, don't do that. Don't get involved in that or be home by this time. I was more free uh, after 9-11, whether that was for good or for bad, <laughs> you know, there was just more of that freedom. Uh, and so decision-making that that's definitely one of the toughest challenges and just figuring out like, 
man, what, what am I going to do in my life? If school is not my thing and I don't have any degrees, then, you know, where do I get a job or, or how do I figure out what to do or how do I figure out what I'm good at? And, and one of the stories that I shared uh, was that when I was 12, uh, just a few months before 9-11, because my birthday is August 6th, and so I had just turned 13 by 9-11, but when I was 12, uh, one day I'm riding to school with my mom, and I don't, I don't know what sparked the conversation, but she said, she said, man, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I was kind of taken back by the question because it was so random and, and I was so unprepared for it. But by her asking me, I felt like, oh, is this something that I should know? And she said, yeah, what do you, what do you see yourself doing? Like, you're getting older now, you know, you're becoming a young man and I'm 12. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> like, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, and she's like, yeah, have you thought about it? Like, have you considered it? And so now I'm trying to defend myself. And I remember saying like, yeah. And she said, oh, really? Tell me what? And I don't know what made me say that. I said, a police officer. And she said, wow. a police officer. She said, oh, really? Why do you want to be a police officer? And I had no answer because I didn't want to be a police officer. I'd never talked about it. I never discussed it. It was never on my mind. She said, you don't want to be a police officer. She said, so what do you want to do? And I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> and she's like, do you want me to tell you what I think you're good at? And I remember her saying, like, if you want me to tell you what I think you're good at, what I can see you doing? And I said, yeah, sure. And she says, I think you'll be a good teacher. And when she said that, immediately I was resistant because here I am. I don't like school. Like, I, wow. I, failed, I failed so much in school. I remember taking a test to go to a school in our neighborhood. And I failed the uh, admitted sets like they wouldn't accept me because I, I scored too low on, on the test. And my mom was like, man, you know, I really wanted you to go to this. It was a private academy, all boys school. She wanted me to go focus, no girls. And I failed and I couldn't go. And so I didn't like school. Like, you know, I didn't like math. There was there were certain things I did well in, you know, certain social studies or certain topics I would do really well in. And that was where people say, well, you have a lot of potential because he does well here, here, here. But I didn't like school overall. Like I dreaded it. I dreaded homework. I didn't study. I, I don't remember ever really studying. And mm -hmm. she, she said a teacher. I was I was like, ew, no. <laughs> but in my mind at 12, I thought teacher like we're going to school. Here's a class. Here's a teacher. And when I got older, she never said anything about a school. She never said anything about you're going to teach in public school. She just said a teacher and young people. Like, I see that you have those qualities that you could be able to help young people and teach. And now years later, I pretty much I've done all of those things. You know, I've taught, I've worked with young people of that nature. And, and so it, it was very interesting. Like, man, we had that conversation at 12. Yeah. You know, she, she kind of saw that. And it was like, what became a challenge later in my life, going through life without her, really, in a way, she was kind of preparing me for it beforehand like showing me, okay, you're going to kind of go this way. I still had to go through so many things, but at the end it was like, oh, I'm back to where mom eventually said <laughs> I was yeah, going yeah. to end up. And so it was funny. And even through, even through all of that, you know, figuring out that I, I could say without question, just one of my biggest stresses growing up and, you know, as a teenager and through college was like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, how am I going to, live my dad used to always say you know don't be a master i mean don't be a jack of all trades a master of none and so when you ask me about all the things i've done in my life that was me trying to figure this thing out you know i, I when i was seven i wanted to be a drummer my grandma brought me a drum set i became a drummer of a church and then when i got to high school all my friends were, were in music and i said okay maybe i can produce music and so i picked the music college just off of that basis my friends were going to music college so i, I went there and then the college was mostly about engineering, but I didn't want to engineer. <laughs> I wanted to produce music, but I didn't play piano or any of those instruments. And then later, my friends were DJs and I thought I wanted to DJ. And, and then we would go to nightclubs a lot and said, oh, man, these guys are making a ton of money. Maybe I should be. a." So I'm, I'm all over the place and I want to play sports. And my dad is like, don't be a jack of all trades and master or none. Like, I know you're figuring this thing out, but you are all over. And what I, one thing I say about my dad, he was always so supportive. Yeah. dad i want to play the drums he brought me a drum set dad i want to produce music he built me an entire studio you know i wanted to play baseball he he brought me baseballs bats gloves everything i wanted to play basketball he put a basketball court in my backyard like he was always supportive like whatever you want to do i'll support you 
but you're all over the place right now. <laughs> and it sounds like your mum was kind of that decision maker, that 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 guide who mm-hmm. helped you kind of hone in. Because you you're a multi talented guy, and you yeah, know yeah. it's like. But she's she was that force in your life that helped you that kind focus. of consolidate a bit. Yeah, yeah. because because I was a mama's boy, she saw so many facets of me like she saw me at home but she also saw me at church and so she saw me in that dynamic and then she we ride the train together then she went to my mom's a mom very active every parent teachers conference every field trip like she's there so she saw me in all these ways like okay so he likes doing that he's good at that and she would often say you know i know you're stronger in some subjects than the others but this is part of the way you're going to graduate you have to unfortunately do them all you know, you can't like pick and choose. And, you know, just having that struggle of what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And then coming back to thinking about everything my mom gave me. And it was like, oh, the thread here is that my life is much about giving back. It's much about giving so much of what my mom gave me. And and and, and that has been able to open up. Oh, OK, so this is this is the path. This is the way. And it was kind of like she was planting those seeds, you know, many, many years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And so do you feel like you've arrived at a kind of equilibrium now? Are you happy with what you're doing and the direction you're going in, would you say? Yeah, I, absolutely. And it's it's only recent that I've I've got to that place where it's like, oh, okay, I don't I don't want to work at a, a job. I don't I used to always say, I wanna, I wanna get these degrees or I wanna get this certificate so I could go work at Google or I can go work at Apple. And now it's like, I don't, I don't want to work at those companies anymore. I think I, I like the ideas of working at those companies. Oh, you work for a billion dollar company. You get to work on this project. Yeah. You get to work with these people. But ultimately, it's not that the purpose is not enough for me. Like what I is that something that I want to do if I could do anything like what I do it for free. And so that is one of the things that I love about uh, story skills and Akimbo and getting a coach in, in these workshop is, is that I would do it for free. Like I wake up excited to do it like man this is what i this is what i really love and that's when i figured out okay so here are all my tools here are all my gifts here are all things that i can do and i don't have to box myself in and say oh i I need a degree i need to work at a a big company and so at at this point i finally discovered like oh okay i got it now i know i know what i got to do is just about just doing it every day that's it yeah and i think there's a common theme of just working with people you know Mm -hmm. you're a real people person so Mm -hmm hiding in a cubicle working on a project you know yeah. unless it was really involving people kind of wouldn't necessarily really light you up I mean, I'm sure you could do it but it's mm-hmm. more like where do you it's that it's that whole zone of genius thing isn't it where you go into that place where you are just so te- like you say I'll do it without the motivation of earning money it's just mm-hmm. this is where I want to be now beautiful so you know, you are somebody who exudes kindness. You just, you just have this natural sort of way of seeing the best in people, bringing out the best in people. So I'm really intrigued to know when I ask you about an act of kindness that's impacted you, where did you go to with that? Hmm. Man, there's so many, (laughs) there's there's (laughs) actually, (laughs) there's so many, I think because I love to learn, I, I love when people that I meet are so generous with their time and they're just willing to share things with me and whether it's books or whether it's information, especially older people that are more experienced. And so I've literally met people for the first time and they'll talk to me about the stock market or they'll talk to me about investing. And for me, that's the that's like the kindest thing, because it's like they don't have to tell me that, you know, they're they're living their own lives. They're well off. They're enjoying themselves. And still they offer that information to me like, oh yeah, we could, we could share that with him. And so I always think that's some of the, the kindest things that anyone can do. And, and then anything that, you know, you do for someone and it's, it, it, it doesn't mean much to you, but it means the, the world to, 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 to the other person. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's really great. Like even right now I'm planning, I'm planning on a, going on a trip to Ghana and I, I had forgot that I needed a, a visa and someone that I met at work who we just built a relationship uh, during COVID and just by being friendly and kind. And I, I made sure that, you know, he had certain things that he needed. And now it turns out he's from Ghana and he knows someone that can get me a visa. Yeah. And so it's like the kindness 
that I showed him is now coming back where he's like, oh, yeah, I could do that for you. Like, no worry. Oh, let me connect you with someone in Ghana. Let me connect you with a driver. Let me. Oh, you can stay at my friend's house, Airbnb. Like those kind of things. It's like, wow, like, man, people are really generous. People are really kind. And those are the things that I really it's it's so many to even narrow down one. You know, people have just been kind to me in, in every way that I could imagine. Gosh, that's amazing. And I mean, you you mentioned Ghana, and I know you've just come back from Senegal. So what are, are these trips just tourism or what do you do when you get there? Yeah. So during COVID, you know, a lot of people weren't traveling. And so yeah. at, at one point, these airlines were like trying to get people to travel. So they made all these tickets like really cheap. And so I went to Senegal. There was a ticket to Senegal for like four hundred dollars. And I and I knew someone that that is from Senegal. And he's like four hundred dollars. I paid twelve hundred dollars. And so when he said that, I was like, oh, I got to book it because yeah. this is a, this is a steal. This is a once in a lifetime thing. And so I booked it. And again, back to your kindness. He's like, oh, you're going to Senegal? Okay, I'm going to connect you to my family. And so for the entire trip, I stayed with his family. His cousin stayed with me for the entire trip, translated mostly the language they speak there is French and Wolof. So he was there translating for me, brought me to restaurants. His sister uh, cooked every night for me, multiple meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, everything. Just off of, we work together. I'm from Senegal. You're going to my country. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of it. And that's, uh, that's how the really trip happened. Yeah. <laughs> and you had fun? I had a blast. It was, it was, it was amazing. I would, it was so many thoughts going through my mind. When I first, when we first landed and we're taking a drive to the house from the airport, I'm looking at all the space. Like there's so much land and space where there's nothing, but at the same time, there's so much construction. And in my uh New York mind, I'm saying, man, they could do so much, <laughs> they could do so much with all this space. But then I thought, well, everywhere doesn't have to look like New York. You know, you don't need a million buildings on top of each other everywhere. And, and there's yeah. beauty in, in this space and this openness. And so you, it, it's just, it brings you to another place where you just see the world differently. And I was sharing with someone that one thing traveling does for me, it allows me to know that God is really everywhere. Like he's really omnipresent. So I, I'm looking, I'm all the way in Senegal, Africa right now. And I can feel his presence by just how the children are playing soccer and enjoying each other and they have no care in the world. They're just playing soccer or, or as they call it football, a uh, European football or just animals. How, you know, I'm looking across and I see sheep as uh, someone is raising sheep across the street. And so in all these things, you look at God's creation and it's like, I'm all the way in Senegal, Africa right now. And this is happening. And if I hopped on a plane and went back home, I could see him in another way with how the wind blew or how the water is the same way. And so traveling just helps me to see him in different ways. Like, yeah, like he's here too. And this thing too, that's different from how you're used to seeing him. And so it was just, Senegal was just beautiful. And I'm looking forward to Ghana and Ghana happened the same way, another cheap ticket. And I said, well, I better jump on this. <laughs> it's starting to sound more like a sort of calling. It's like, you know, you're being drawn to it and okay, there's cheap tickets, but there's something in there that's yeah. like, what's, what's bubbling <laughs> up? Yeah, what's coming up for you? That's it's going to be interesting to watch. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I know um, music, you you said you were a drummer and you played with DJing and, and music production. So who were who you helping with their production of music? Yeah, so drumming started with growing up in church. Uh, the drummer, for some reason, I was always attracted to the drummer. And I remember one day we're at my grandmother's house and this is back. I don't know if you're familiar with JC Penney company here in the States. And they used to come out with a catalog department store. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. And so I, I was looking through the catalog one day and I saw a drum set and JC Penney is not a place you would really get a drum set, but I saw the drum set and I said, mom, could I get this drum set? And she's like, no, you can't get no drum set. And my grandmother heard me and she's like, you want a drum set? And she's like, I'll buy you the drum set. And right then and there, she called JC Penny and, and brought me a, a drum set. And my mom is like, to her mom now, she's like, Ma. <laughs> she's like, You're undermining me here now. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I don't want that loud thing in my house. And she's like, she's like, no, we'll put it at the church and, and he could learn how to play the drums and you know, maybe he could be the drummer. So, wow. so that, that was my beginning of drumming. I started playing the drums and learning how to play the drums. And my cousin later on, he hopped on as well. And we both kind of learned together. And, and then it was funny. My dad is a big jazz fan. That was something he was very excited about that I was learning. 
because he was like, oh, great. You want to be a drummer? And he would tell me, he would give me tapes and CDs and records. But I was like, no, I don't want to be a jazz drummer. It, it was it was a much different jazz drumming and drumming in church. It was much different. But yeah, so I drummed for a few years. And then uh, when I got to high school, my friends that I had grew up with, uh, one of them was a rapper. Another one was was making beats. And and so when they were picking a college, they're like, yeah, we're going to this college, a music school. And I was like, OK. I'll go there. And I said, well, if everyone's doing music, I got to do some kind of music. But it was all in the studio. It wasn't like live drums, you know. So I said, well, I better start making beats. And so I brought production equipment and started making beats. And I never really got really good at it. And one of the one of the reasons is I, I never really stuck with it, because remember, I'm, I'm all over the place. I want to do this. <laughs> I want to do that. And another, another reason I felt like I felt like the advantage for me would have been if I knew how to play the keyboard. Like if I knew how to play keys, I could do production better. That was my thought at the time. And so I brought a keyboard and I started taking keyboard lessons, but I wasn't committed to it. Would it, would it like if I was to do it right now, I know I could do it because I know how to practice and I know how to be intentional and everything. At that, that, at that time, I didn't. So I was all over the place and it, it turned into I, I stopped production and I began to manage one of my friends who was an artist. And so I started managing his career and booking him shows and traveling and it, and it went really well uh, for a long time. And then I stopped that and then it was like, all right, I'm, I'm done with music. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm on to the next thing. And so that's, that's, that's kind of how it all worked in, but it really starts with just growing up in church. Music is such a big part of yeah. church and watching the drummer. And my sister was in the choir. My aunt was in the choir, my cousins, my mom, everyone was in a choir they sung and so you you kind of you know get that and I imagine you made some good noise I mean it sounds yeah like yeah there were many nights there were many nights like all right it's past 10 you got to stop beating on the drums you know so uh mm -hmm. yeah so it started with drums and then just kind of it kind of went on until it until it didn't go anymore <laughs> so when you have to narrow it down to like a single song that 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 has the story behind it what comes up for you oh that's that's so tough because man i've 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 listened to i mean gospel music is the music i listen to most so mm -hmm. there's a song there's a song by fred hammond that um it's not my favorite song but it used to be my favorite song it's the song that i played the most in my life it's called no weapon by fred hammond and i literally have played that song thousands of times <laughs> to the point that my sister my mom they used to be like man please Stop. like it's back when we had cassette tapes and i and i and i remember making a cassette tape with it with that one song was on was on the entire tape and so it was like 69 like replay, replay. yeah i just i just made it so i could i didn't have to rewind it i could just let it run and what and just, about it what's it about yeah so fred hammond is, is a is a legendary gospel artist and the song is very simple it just says no weapon formed against me shall prosper which is based off of a scripture and then it goes on to say, God will do what he said he would do. He will stand by his word. He will go through. And that's the whole song. It just go, repeats it. It just says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And I just love that song. It was slow. And I, I remember telling my aunt, I said, I'm going to play this song at my wedding. I'm going to walk down to this song. And she's like, how are you going to play that at your wedding? I think it makes sense. Like no weapon formed against his marriage is going to prosper. And so while while I, have, I don't listen to that song like a million times like I, I used to, I'll still play it every now and then. But the words are, are still very critical, like like weapons will form against you, but doesn't mean that it's going to prosper. Like if, if you don't let those weapons or those things deter you. Yeah. And so that song, I can tell you, I played the most out of my life. It's, it's No Weapon by Fred Hammond. That came out in the early 90s, I would say. Wow. Wow. So is that the song you would add or do you have another one? add into a playlist so i have a yeah to it to, okay. to the playlist oh man it's, it's so because there's there's a there's a gospel group right now called maverick city music and i listen to them the most um but they have so many yeah i would i would add no weapon yeah. just because it's the foundation it has to be really yeah because it was probably my first or second favorite song ever <laughs> and i yeah. and i got it so much and and even now i love uh, uh jamie fox sung it recently not recently a few years back he won a, a golden globe or emmy or something and he actually sung the song as he won it and uh wow. it was it was oh great so it's it's a powerful song I, I would have to add it yeah, <laughs> yeah. So oh, that, that's 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 an amazing because i i don't know it at all and we don't have any gospel music as far as i'm okay. aware so it's yeah. like way to go that is amazing yeah. and so you know 
you are you just exude wisdom mandel you are just a very wise strong being but i yeah i i guess what does it boil down to for you if you're sharing with an audience what's the wisdom that that you sort of stick with mm -hmm. so again there's <laughs> there's so many but two things that my grandmother said that I, that always stick to me so one of them is be mature enough to eat the chicken and spit out and spit out the bones and the other is stay away from the appearance of evil and so for the first one i use it so much even in everyday life you know we talk about feedback a lot with the kimbo workshops and i could take anything that someone says to me because i know that in it there is probably something that i could use and so i could eat the chicken as she would say and then spit out everything else wow. and, I, and I could just be okay with it because what what the value I get is enough for me to overcome any personal emotions that might hurt me and so when I was younger I was more sensitive and emotional to those things so if you said something to me like my mom would say let me see your homework ill you wrote that sloppy do it over I would cry because mm. it was it was personal to me like I did this work and you you don't think it's good and and you know I'm not good enough and I'll I'll make all these stories up in my head but what she was just saying was there's a way you should do your work and you should take it serious and you should I I know you write better than this and so you should do it and so when my grandma said that I never forgot it was like okay eat the chicken and spit out the bones whatever's going to work for you whatever's going to make you better eat that and then spit out the rest yeah. and then the other thing was uh, stay away from the appearance of evil. And so that one is funny because she didn't say stay away from evil. It's the appearance. And so what she would often say was, you could not be doing anything wrong, but it could appear that you're doing something wrong and that could be detrimental to you. And so for me, growing up in a Christian family and a very well-known family in the in our local area, you know, Christian church, my grandma being a pastor. And oftentimes in school, people would say, isn't your grandmother a pastor? You know, don't, don't you go to church every Sunday? Here you are doing this. You know, you kind of get that preacher's kid. Thing. Mm. And she would often say, you know, you're not doing anything wrong, but you're around people that are doing everything wrong. What if you stayed away from the appearance of evil? You know, how much better could things be for you? And so sometimes I might not do something, not because it's evil, but not, but because it might appear that it's evil and somebody might interpret it as that. And so I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll stick away from that. You know, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a big alcohol drinker. Like I don't, I don't really drink much alcohol. It's just not my thing to do. And staying away from the appearance of evil might be, you know, it's, it's not something I might broadcast. Like if I'm going out to, to eat with some friends or something or, or going to a nightclub, like for example, Growing up in church, a nightclub is probably not the best place that you should be. Going to a nightclub is not a sin, but you're around a lot of things that are going on that you probably shouldn't be around. And so it's just that appearance. And so those are two things that I just keep with me. Wisdom from my grandmother, just, you know, eat, eat the chicken, spit out the bones and, and stay away from the appearance of evil. It's, it's just helped my decision making so much. Keeps you out of trouble. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I have a feeling people who've listened to this will want to keep up with you, Mandel, and like, where are you going? And so where's the best place? Where do you, where do you sort of, uh, where are you most present online? Yeah. So right now, most present is, is definitely Instagram and it's just my name, uh, Mandel Conway. And uh, in the future, I'm, I'm like, I'm working on a website that will be, um, that'll be up. But right now it's just social media, Mendel Conway, Instagram, Good Facebook. Views. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. But in the meantime, I just wanted to say what a testament to your mum you are. You know, it's just, it's it's so beautiful to see that she must be looking down on you and being so proud of the boy you've turned out to be. And yeah, I think there's no better way to to honour her and act as a tribute than to, to tell the stories the way you tell them, which is just so powerful, so beautiful. And I know will be a lot of help to a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, lo I love that conversation together. Yeah, just beautiful. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kat.
What an absolute superstar. That was just such a powerful conversation and one which will stay with me for a very long time. If you want to keep up with Mandel or hear more from him, he's just starting a campaign on his Instagram page. The links are in the show note, but you can find him at Mandel Conway on Instagram. It's called Giving is Like. I think you'll agree Mandel is someone who just keeps giving and he's hoping that his story will help other people who are perhaps suffering loss in the same way. Here's just a short extract from one of those posts. I remember being home alone, playing out different scenarios in my head, hoping one of them were true. I hope she hadn't made it to work yet. I hope she was stuck on the train. I hope she was downstairs in the cafeteria getting breakfast. I hoped and hoped and hoped. I don't remember stopping and praying. If I did, they were really short prayers. But I remember having a hopeful heart. Who knew the hope she gave me was the hope I would need. Just a beautiful testament to the amazing mother that Brenda was and and what a beautiful son she brought into the world. I hope you all have a great week and thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from, so I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.